Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. I was mentioning to Laura this morning, what a blessing it is to have a church full of faithful people. So here we are on a Sunday morning, time change Sunday. Just How many of you absolutely hate time change? I just do not like it. But I love the Lord, and I love it that you all work hard all week. You have busy lives. You have a lot of things going on, and you choose to come and gather together with God's people in church to worship together, to have fellowship, to study God's Word together. What a wonderful opportunity it is. And so let's not waste it. And my reward to you for getting up and coming on Time Change Sunday is to preach a kind of a boring sermon. We're, this is going to be, this is real teachy today. We're going to get to some application towards the end. But this is one of those, hey, God did it. He put the passage here. I'm just, this is where we are today. And uh, so get a Bible in your hands. We're going to be going all through the scriptures. If you don't have a Bible with you, look under the chair in front of you. There's a Bible there, and you're going to want to be able to see it for the cross-references. But let's look at Acts chapter 1, and let's start reading in verse 20. So remember, we looked at Judas last week. We looked at apostles and disciples. What's the difference? So now look at what it says in verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms, speaking about Judas, let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. Now, we're going we're gonna to look at that a little bit later in the message and explain what, what is that all about, this bishopric. Verse 21, Wherefore of these men which have companied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two. Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Lord, will you please help us as we study your word? There's important information that we need to understand in this text today. And Father, I pray that um, you're glorified as your word is preached. In Jesus' name, amen. So my message today, of these must one be ordained. Of these must one be ordained. Why? Why do we need another apostle? So Judas has died, and now they're going to replace Judas. But look with me. Hold your place here. Look at Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Remember Jesus' inner circle, Peter, James, and John? So now here is James. James is killed in Acts 12. They do not replace James as an apostle. Why did they replace Judas, but not James? We're going to be seeing that today. Go back with me to 
uh, Acts chapter 1. Why are they doing this? Well, the apostles took the word of God seriously. Look in verse 15 of chapter 1. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. The number of the names together was about 120. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled. So again, he is taking the Bible seriously. Why is all this happening? Why did Judas betray Jesus? Because the scripture must be fulfilled. Notice again what he says in verse uh, 21. Verse 22. Beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained. All right? Scripture must be fulfilled and we must ordain another man to replace Judas. They were taking the scriptures seriously. Now, again, the best definition, the best biblical definition of inspiration, the best example of inspiration you'll see in the Bible is in verse 16. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, and here it is, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. Remember, the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. David spoke, the Holy Spirit spoke by the mouth of David. That's inspiration. That's what inspiration is, and I love to see that. So I want you to notice something. This is, this is an amazing thing in verse 25, talking about uh, the, these that they have to replace Judas with, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell. Look at what it says, that he might go to his own place. Listen to what John MacArthur wrote about that. He said, this last phrase is a shocking and sobering statement. Judas and all others who go to hell belong there. It is the place of their own choosing. It belongs to them and they to it. I got to read that again. Notice he went to his own place. Judas went to his own place. This last phrase is a shocking and sobering statement. Judas and all others who go to hell belong there. It is the place of their own choosing. It belongs to them and they to it. James Knox on this same passage, listen to what he said. The disciples believed in a place called hell. They believed people go there. And they believed that Judas was one of those people. See, in this ministry of discipleship, the primary emphasis is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the positive part, isn't it? And so our message is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at that again here in a second. But our resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, is the hope that we too can be raised instead of going to hell, which is where we belong. So if I died without Christ, I'd be going to my own place. I have earned it. For the wages of sin is death. What death? The second death. But the fearful and unbelieving and the whoremongers and abominable murderers and sorcerers and all all these bad people and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's what I deserve. That's where I deserve to go. That is my place. But when Jesus Christ hung on that cross, he paid my penalty. 
And so that resurrection of Jesus, that's the, that's the demonstration that he conquered death and the grave. He paid the price. His ascension and his sitting down at the right hand of the Father, that's the proof that Jesus Christ's sacrifice was enough. Thou shalt not leave my soul in hell, nor suffer thine holy one to see corruption. That's about Jesus. Jesus died, but he did not corrupt. Why? Because he was absolutely perfect and sinless. I am only sinful, but I have been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I can go to heaven because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The disciples believed that. That's what they preached. And that's the background of why are they replacing this apostle? So why must one be ordained? Because they took the word of God seriously. Why are they replacing Judas but not James? We looked at Acts chapter 12. Hold your place here in uh, Acts chapter 1 and go with me to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19, Jesus Christ speaking to his apostles. And look at what it says in verse 27, Matthew 19 and verse 27. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Peter is amazing. Have you ever noticed Peter always says what we are thinking? Hey, what's in it for me? What am, what, what, look, we've given up everything. What are we going to get for doing this? Verse 28. I love this. And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration. What's the regeneration? Man, I would love to preach to you about the second coming of Christ right there. What is the regeneration? The entire world was destroyed in the fall. It was then destroyed in the flood. It will ultimately be destroyed during the tribulation period where this physical universe, a third of the stars fall from heaven. All the green grass is killed. This earth is destroyed. And then Jesus returns and regenerates it all. All right, so again, verse 28. And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, right now he's seated in his Father's throne. At his Father's right hand. But the theme of the whole Bible is one day Jesus Christ is coming to sit on his throne in Jerusalem. When he's sitting on that throne in the regeneration, what about those who have followed him? Look at what it says. When the Son of Man, the middle of the verse, shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Why did they have to replace Judas? Because there's 12 thrones, and there won't be an empty one. Isn't that awesome? So they had to replace him. There had to be 12 apostles. But why did they pick Matthias? Shouldn't it have been Paul? Have any of you ever heard that they made a mistake picking Matthias, that they were supposed to wait until Paul? Have you ever heard that? The, the people who say that... There's some things that they have missed in the Bible, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. Did the guys, what about Paul, and they did, did they make a mistake when they picked Matthias? First of all, they were not picking the last apostle. That's what people think, that Paul was the last apostle. 
that they were picking the last apostle. What they were picking, go back to Acts chapter 1, look at verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. They were picking a replacement to fill the bishopric or the office, we're going to show you that, of one of the twelve apostles who would be the foundation of the church. Okay, hold your place in Acts. Let's make sure that what we're saying is biblical. So we're in Acts 1. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Brother Josh is here. We interviewed him in the Sunday school hour, and he was giving us a testimony of how he became a King James guy. And he, you know, his degree in college, his minor was biblical languages. And so he was taught to just go to the Greek and the Hebrew and explain the Greek and the Hebrew. And when he changed to studying the, the, the words in his English Bible, what happened at church when that people, some people left the church because here's what they said. There's too much Bible. When you allow the Bible to explain itself rather than the dictionary to explain the Bible, well, you've got to trace it out through the Bible. What's the difference? The dictionary has no authority. The Word of God has authority. And so when I make these statements, I want you to know where they are in the Bible, and so we're going to take the time to look those up. So Ephesians chapter 2. Look with me at verse 19. So this is talking about the church. Now, therefore... Ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. How many of you are glad you're in that household of God? That's the church. Praise God for that. And what's that built upon? And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom? All the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. The Bible is so cool. So you, you, at, at the book of Acts, so who's the human penman? Who wrote it? I'm going to have to start this whole series over again. Who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. Okay, since that was hard, let me ask you an easier question. What other book of the Bible did he write? Luke, well done. And it's so fun. So go back to, go back to Acts chapter 1 and look at verse 1. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. So in Luke chapter 1... There's the promise that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon Mary. In Luke chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came upon Mary. And what did that produce? A body. Jesus Christ's body. And that body was filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and everything Jesus did on earth was through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Do you remember at Jesus' baptism? The Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove, right? So Jesus Christ did everything on earth through the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 1, the promise of the Holy Spirit would come upon Mary. Luke chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and produced a body. Acts chapter 1, there's the promise of the Holy Spirit. 
Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. And what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit produces a body. And what is that? That's the body of the believers. And now the Holy Spirit of God will dwell within the believer. And the Bible tells us we are his temple. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is in you. Isn't that amazing, that correlation between Luke and Acts? And the whole thing in the book of Acts is about how we can serve God through the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. Now remember, Jesus Christ came to his own. Jesus Christ came to establish an earthly kingdom. He came in a physical body. Now we as the church are establishing a spiritual kingdom. And so we are a spiritual body. There is no one physical church on earth that is the body of Christ. Amen? Now, there are some people who teach that, and I like to ask them, oh, so it was the local church that was nailed to the cross, and it was the local church that was put in the tomb, and it was the local church that rose from the dead? No, that's ridiculous. So then what is the body of Christ? Well, the body of Christ is the body of Christ. Where is that body right now? It's seated at the right hand of the Father. And if you are born again, are any of you born again? You know Jesus Christ is your Savior. You've placed your faith and trust in Christ alone for your eternal life. If that's you, then right now you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You are in Christ. You are in his body, and we function as his body on earth. Amen? Are you all with me on this? And so we see why did they need to replace Judas? Because those 12 apostles are the foundation of the church. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. We are built upon the, the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the chief cornerstone. So what were they doing? They were making sure that Matthew chapter 19 and verse 28 is fulfilled. Twelve apostles, twelve thrones, there's going to be twelve men. That's what they were doing. And they had to make sure that what Christ had determined, he's the cornerstone, the apostles are the foundation. You can't have a faulty foundation. You can't have eleven twelfths of a foundation. You needed twelve twelfths of the foundation, which makes what? All you math people, one. All right. Now, what about, go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate and let no man dwell therein and his bishopric let another take. So let's figure out what's happening there. Obviously, keep your place in Acts chapter 1. How many of you, your Bible actually opens to Acts chapter 1 by itself? We've been there so long now. Look, look at Psalm 69. Psalm 69, verse 25. Let their habitation be desolate, and let none dwell in their tents. So their habitation was their tent. So let it be desolate. Let it be desolate. Go to Psalm 109 and verse 8. We looked at these verses a couple of weeks ago. Psalm 109 and verse 8. Remember, Peter's preaching is full of Old Testament Scripture. All right? So he also cites this verse, Psalm 109 and verse 8. Let his days be few and another take his office. Do you notice it doesn't say bishopric, it says office? 
Why did Peter change it to bishopric? Because the Holy Spirit had him change it. And this is so fun. There's a transition taking place from the law, from the Jewish system to the church. It was an office in the Jewish system. In the church, it's going to be a bishop. So you say, well, what's the original language there? Bishop. In the New Testament, it's overseer. That's what bishop is, overseer. And so what God is doing is he's showing through Peter a change from the Jewish system to the local church system, which will be empowered here very soon in Acts chapter 2. And so these apostles, this ministry, look at what it says, Acts chapter 1. Verse 25, that he may take part, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship. So you have this ministry that's established of being a bishop, an overseer in the local church, and the first ones to do that were apostles. They were apostles, all right? So, why this change? The Holy Spirit directed the apostles to apply Old Testament passages to New Testament situations. Okay, now, okay, hold on. It's time change. Some of you are already a little cross-eyed. Shake yourself a little bit, because what I'm about to tell you is awesome. This is so cool. They, the Holy Spirit allowed the apostles to take Old Testament passages and apply them to New Testament situations. None of us would have ever read... Psalm 69 and Psalm 109 and put them together to describe Judas. Now, sometimes preachers do that. I was just in a meeting where preachers took the Old Testament and told the story of the Old Testament and then applied it really any way they wanted to. We're not really allowed to do that. As a preacher, I'm only allowed to tell you what God has said. And that's why when I tell you something that God has said, then we go look at where God said that. Because I'm not the authority, the Bible is. Very important. But what God allowed these apostles to do is to take Old Testament passages and apply them to New Testament situations. I'm not allowed to do that. Why? Because the New Testament is finished. So now I can tell you what the New Testament tells us to do, and I can also tell you what the New Testament says about the Old Testament. You don't need me to change that. This is our authority. The apostles, God, by God, the Holy Spirit directed him to say bishopric instead of office. He can do that. I can't. Sometimes people will say, why do the, the, the apostles in the New Testament cite the Old Testament differently than what we read in the Old Testament? There are people that deny the inspiration of Scripture because of that. Well, it's all inspired, and God inspired them to do that that way. He has not inspired you to do that. Don't change it, just believe it. All right? So, let's keep going. And I actually have here in my notes just what Josh said in Sunday school. We now compare spiritual things with spiritual, 1 Corinthians 2, 14 and 15. Okay, so, that, that's why did they replace Judas and not James? Because the foundation was laid. And here's the good news. James is in that foundation. Right? Go to uh, Revelation.
Don't think I put this in my notes. Yes, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 20. No? Probably Revelation 20. Let's look for it. Nope, 21. Revelation 21. Now look at verse 14. I hope you're not writing all that in the margin of your Bible. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Judas is not in there. Matthias is, and so is James. So we didn't need to replace James. Judas had to be replaced, okay? But now, what about Paul? What about Paul? Well, so go back to Acts chapter 1. Some argue that Paul was to be the 12th apostle. With Matthias, that would make 13, and there can't be 13 apostles. That's just people that don't read their Bible very carefully. There are 16 or 17 apostles named in Scripture. There are the 12 original, including Judas. He had to replace, that's be replaced, that's Matthias. So the number isn't the issue. But Paul, and we've already identified the significance of the 12, but Paul clearly had a ministry that was different from the 12. Would you all agree with that? Clearly, he had a ministry that was different than the 12. So let's, let's track this down. Go to Galatians chapter 2. What was Paul's ministry? Galatians chapter 2 and look at verse 6. So, apparently, Paul was not getting the respect that he deserved. All right? And he didn't like that. But more importantly, the Holy Spirit didn't like it because the Holy Spirit allowed it to be included in Scripture. Y'all follow what I'm saying? Even when uh, a person in Scripture is expressing their own ideas or their own feelings, the only way it is it makes its way into Scripture is if God wants us to know it. All right? Look at Eric back there with those babies. Fantastic. Let's give Holly a hand, right? Let's get she, she produced those twins. Praise God. I love that. All right. So look at Galatians chapter 2. And now, some of you ladies, all you're going to be thinking about are those babies back there. Come back to me now, okay? Galatians chapter 2 and verse 6. Here's what Paul wrote. But of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me, God accepteth no man's person. For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. Who's he talking about? The other apostles. Yeah, they're important, but they gave nothing to me. But contrarywise, which is a great word, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision, that's the Gentiles, was committed unto me as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter. So Peter was the apostle to the Jews. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. So, verse 9. And when James, Cephas, that's Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived that the grace was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. So there's a couple of things about this. The, these Jews, they were staying primarily with, I'm sorry, these apostles were primarily establishing a Jewish church. And Paul is primarily going to the Gentiles. Paul did lead Jews to the Lord. The apostles did lead Gentiles to the Lord. 
But the focus of their ministries, one to the Jews, one to the Gentiles, Paul's ministry was different. There's another thing that's interesting here. Not only was Paul an apostle, Barnabas was an apostle. And that's what the apostles are acknowledging, but neither of them were part of the twelve. All right? So, let's go on. Look at... 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We want to demonstrate that Paul is not less than the other 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And verse 11. (laughs) The, The church at Corinth had gotten to Paul. Now, you know the church at Corinth was a mess, right? So by the time we get to chapter 12... Paul has been straightening these people out. And apparently, they're not receiving it as well as they should have. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11. I am become a fool in glorying. Why? Ye have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended of you. For in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. So, what's he doing? He's exalting his office. This office of apostleship. Doesn't matter what you think about me. You need to exalt my office as pastor. It really doesn't matter what you think about Jim Alter. The office of the pastor, the Bible says, esteem them highly for their work's sake. Very important. I have no more access to God than you do. I have no authority over you other than what the Bible says. And yet... Exalt the office of the pastor. Exalt. Now, is the office of the pastor the same thing as the office of the apostle? No, no. How many of you think maybe the office of the pastor is probably below the office of the apostle? Do you do this? <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. And yet, we've got to make sure that God has order, structure, and submission in all of his institutions. Human government, order, structure, and submission. The home, order, structure, and submission. The local church, order, structure, and submission. The very Godhead, order, structure, and submission. Very important. All of that is a part of what God is doing. And that's what the Apostle Paul is exalting. So he was certainly an apostle, but he had a a different uh, calling than these others. Go to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. Verse 13, for I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am, look at what it says, the, not an, the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. He had a special office, didn't he? I magnify mine office. The reason we need to understand is because this, the reason this is so vital is the Bible makes it very clear that all of this information about the church, God had ordained before the world began, but it was hidden until he revealed it to Paul. The other thing that's vital, up until this point, God was only working through Israel. If the world was saved, it was through Israel, which was supposed to be a light on a hill, Jerusalem, a light on a hill. Let let your light so shine that, that, that all of that city on a hill, salt and light, that's not the church. That's all about Israel. 
And now, according to 2 Corinthians 4, that light that shone out of darkness, the glory of God, that's in us. The Bible says we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the, that the glory may be of God and not of us. That's the light that we have in us. Our nation is not a city on a hill. That's supposed to be Israel. So the significance of this is God had worked through Israel. Now he's working through individual Gentiles. Paul was the one called to do that. And it was so important that Paul said, I exalt that office. I exalt. What about Paul? What about Paul? The other thing, go back to Acts chapter 1. Why is Paul not one of the 12, considered one of the 12? Because Paul did not meet the qualifications laid out in Acts chapter 1. So let's look at it. Verse... 21. Wherefore, here's the first qualification, of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. So, from the beginning, from the beginning of Jesus Christ's ministry, it, an apostle, one of these original 12, had to be with them from the beginning. That's the first. Was Paul with them from the beginning? No. So he can't be one of the 12. Verse 22. Beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us. So they had to have the beginning of Jesus' ministry at the baptism of John, when John baptized Jesus, accompanied with them all the time, but he also had to be with them on the Mount of Olives when Jesus Christ ascended. Was Paul in the Mount of Olives with the disciples when Jesus ascended? No. Look at the third qualification. Must, so in the middle of verse 2, must one be ordained to be a witness, look at what it says, with us of his resurrection. So this is also someone that had to see the resurrected Christ before the ascension. So notice, they are witnesses of the resurrection. We are witnesses to the resurrection. That's the difference between an apostle and a disciple. That's the difference between the apostles that came along during the, the inter, uh, the, this, this period of the book of Acts, this, this transitional period from the Old Testament law to the New Testament church. There were a few more apostles that God called during that time. They were also witnesses to the resurrection, not witnesses of the resurrection. Why is this so important? He had to be, he had to have witnessed Jesus after his resurrection before the ascension because this is the message of the church, the resurrection of Jesus. Now we're getting ready for Easter Sunday. You have to invite somebody to church. If you do not invite somebody to church, you do not love Jesus. No, you might love Jesus, but you're not a disciple. That was a great place for an amen, men in the church. If you do not invite people to church and tell people about the resurrection, you are not a disciple. Now, let's be honest. Let's confess. How many of you were not a very good disciple this past week? Would you raise your hands? That's what a disciple is. The, the, it, it, I, I, my pastor, when I was in Bible college, he used to say there's a difference between a Christian home and a home full of Christians. How many of you know homes that are made of Christians that don't behave like Christians? There's a difference between being saved and being a disciple. A disciple is one who follows Christ with the intent to learn, 
and learns with the intent to obey. That's what a disciple is. And a disciple must be a witness. Is that what the Bible says? Look at what it says in verse 25. Verse uh, 22. Beginning from the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. Vital. Why? Well, let's see what the message of the early church was. Look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 24. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Man, is that a good verse? Look at verse 32. This Jesus hath God, this Jesus hath God raised up, wherefore, oh, look at what it says. We all are witnesses. Is that cool? That's that 12. We all are witnesses. Uh, look at chapter 3 and verse 15. And killed the prince of life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. Look at chapter 5 and verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Chapter 10 and verse 40. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly. Chapter 13 and verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. Verse 33. God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second Psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Look at verse 34. As concern, and as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. He said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Look at verse 37. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. What do you think the message of the apostles was? The resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we are witnesses of that. That's why they had to have one before Paul. And he had to be one of those who had been with Christ and met those three qualifications, and the Apostle Paul did not do that. Now, number, so number one, number one, why did they have to do this? Number two, what about Paul? Number three, did they make a mistake in ordaining Matthias? Even after the death of Judas... They were called the eleven. The eleven. Look at Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16. I told you this was going to be brutal. Matthew 28. Verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee. Mark chapter 16. Look at verse 14. If you have a footnote that says this isn't supposed to be in your Bible, that footnote's wrong. Afterward, verse 14, afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat. So you have the 11, the 11. That's how they're identified. Why? Because Judas is dead. After the choice of Matthias, now they're called the 12. 
The Holy Spirit called them the eleven, and now the Holy Spirit calls them to twelve. Let's find that. Acts chapter 6. And look at verse 2. This is really cool. Verse 2. Then the twelve, Acts chapter 6, verse 2. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them. The twelve. The twelve. And you ready for this? Here's what's so cool. This is before Paul was saved. He was still Saul then. The Holy Spirit clearly accepted this choice. They are not corrected. Surely the Holy Spirit would not let this monumental error stand at the foundation of the church. Now go back to Acts 1. We're going to answer a question here. Verse 26. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. They were casting lots. Remember they cast lots for Jesus' garments? Casting lots, that sounds like gambling. What are they doing? How many of you think that's kind of weird, that that's the way that they chose? Why did they do that? Because they were they took the Bible seriously. Keep your place here. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 33. Proverbs 16 and verse 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. So casting lots was something that was done in the Old Testament to find the will of God. It's never done again in the New Testament after this. Why? Verse 26. We're back in Acts 1. Verse 26. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Now they're ready for Pentecost. They've gathered together. They've understood the difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. They understand that they have a commission to go into the whole world, beginning at Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, then the uttermost parts of the earth. They've gotten the final apostle. They've gotten the final of the twelve. He has been called. And now, that kind of practice is unnecessary. We don't need to cast lots. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. But now let's finish with this. Notice the way they prayed to God about this situation. So look at verse 24. And they prayed and said, Lord, I'm sorry. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. Two guys to choose from, Justice and Matthias. God chose Matthias. Why did they pray this prayer? Listen. God knows the hearts. They needed God's wisdom. Why? They thought Judas was fine. When Jesus said, one of you will betray me, they didn't say, yeah, it's Judas. They said, is it I? Why? They thought Judas was fine. Want to know something? All of us will put confidence in men that let us down. One of our close friends, Jeff Faggart, has messed up. We can no longer support his ministry. 
And here's the thing. You say, Pastor, I can't believe you just brought that into a sermon. It's in the text. It's broken our hearts. Because if there was anyone that I would have said would never mess up, it would be Jeff. This is why we need the wisdom of God. God tries the hearts. See, we, we can look at every other aspect and think everything's great. We don't know what's going on in the heart. God knows what's going on in the heart. And so, God is the one who would determine the heart of justice or the heart of Matthias, and God chose Matthias. You know what's interesting? We never hear Matthias' name again, the rest of the Bible. We'll see it again in the foundation of the New Jerusalem. Amen? That's what God does. And I wrote this down. So let's read verse 24 again. And they prayed and said, Lord, thou which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these thou hast chosen. You know, God has a work. Let's all stand together. God has a work. Very important. God has a work to be done. How many of you believe that God has a work to be done? And you know he chooses us to do that work. How many of you know that? There's some special things that God wants us to do, that God wants us to accomplish. Here's what I wrote down as I read this verse. What about my heart? I'm not saying that as a preacher, all of you ask about your... I'm saying Jim Alter. What does God think of my heart? Could God pick me? Now, I'm going to turn it around. What about your heart? Remember, the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's why the psalmist wrote, search me. Search me. Try my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What about your heart? Is your heart cold right now? You sit under the preaching of the Word of God and you just want to go and do something else. You want to think about something else. You don't want to be here. You're just here because you're a person of character and you know you're supposed to be in church. What's your your heart? Your heart condition right now? Is it cold? Is it bitter? Is it broken? Where is your heart? Casting all your care upon Him for He careth for you. See, we're supposed to be witnesses. And whether or not we are being witnesses of his resurrection, that is a direct reflection of what's going on in our heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. If you're living the resurrection life, remember, uh, because thou, uh, church at Laodicea, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, but knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Remember, all of those, all of those characteristics of Laodicea, that's all people who are not living the resurrection life. If Christ be not raised, we are of all men most most miserable. O wretched man that I am, Paul wrote. So what about my heart? I want God to use me. Is my heart, listen, listen, is my heart usable by God? Or is my heart given to the world? Is my heart given to everything but God? 
What about my heart? Why did they do this? They had to finish the 12. They had to complete the 12, the foundation of the church. What about Paul? He had a ministry to the Gentiles. His ministry was different. He's one, he said, born out of due time. What about Matthias? Did they make a mistake with Matthias? No, because the Holy Spirit acknowledged, now they're the 12. They were the 11. Now they're the 12. But the prayer was, God, try the hearts. You know the hearts. We don't. I don't know your heart. You don't know my heart. Can we make sure that our hearts are right with God? Amen. Lord, thank you for your word and the opportunity to preach it. Lord, this is an unusual passage. And it's a difficult passage to apply until we realize that you know our hearts. Father, would you stir up our hearts? Will you help us to understand that hell is real? That that's the place that we belong and it's the place everyone outside of here that doesn't know Christ, that's where they belong and they're going. That's why they need the message of the resurrection. Help us be witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. And Lord, help us to be disciples that follow you.